It's Philosophy Talk. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here together to join Franklin and Marissa. Don't do it. Should marriage be abolished? By the power vested in me by the State Gaming Commission, I pronounce you man and wife. Here's $10 worth of chips. You may kiss the bride. Is marriage the foundation of family, society, and progress? Or is marriage a prehistoric relic, a social straitjacket, a cherished product of heterosexual hegemony? What do you say? Uh, are we all going to get married? All of us. All of us. But that's bigamy. Yes, and that's bigamy, too. If marriage is so great, why all the divorces? The Ten Commandments say, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But New York State says you have to. Our guest is Tamara Metz, author of Untying the Knot, Marriage, the State, and the Case for Their Divorce. Should state-sanctioned marriage be abolished? I never want to marry. I just want to get divorced. Coming up on Philosophy Talk, after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of Oregon Public Broadcasting in Portland. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today, should marriage be abolished? Well, that's a real punchy and provocative way to ask our question, Ken. But we need to be careful. Nobody wants to <clears throat> abolish marriage in the way that slavery was abolished. We don't want to suggest that there's somebody out there that thinks people should be forbidden from marrying. Well, but John, as you know, some people actually are forbidden from marrying. In, in most places in the United States, gay couples are not allowed to, to marry. And once upon a time, interracial couples were not permitted to marry. Well, so there's a question. Are the legal inequalities between those who are permitted to marry and those who are not permitted to marry morally or politically even defensible? But that's not the same as asking whether marriage should be abolished. Well, that, that's true. You've got a point there. But you know, there are places where marriage is actually disappearing on its own accord, even without anybody actively trying to abolish it. In Sweden, for example, more and more couples simply cohabitate without bothering to get married, even, even when they have children. Well, but, I mean, the Swedes drive Volvos and Saabs and live amidst the snow and all that. Is the question really whether we Americans ought to become more like the Swedes? No, no, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Let, let's go back a step, though. Suppose, just for the sake of argument, that the inequality between people who are, are allowed to marry and people who are not is not morally, politically, or even rationally defensible. What, what then? Well, that's a pretty contentious assumption. I mean, people are willing to go to the barricades to defend marriage as we currently know it, especially against the encroachment by gays and lesbians into that cherished institution. I, I know, I, I know, but humor me for a moment. J just suppose that we reject all those arguments offered up by people at the barricades defending marriage against gays and all that. What, what then? Well, on that assumption... I guess. Why wouldn't we just say that any two consenting adults, regardless of their race or gender or sexual preference or whatever, be, ought to be legally permitted to marry? Yeah, but, well, that's right. But isn't there really a prior question? Why is marriage, ask yourself, why is marriage such a hot button issue in the first place? Why are so many people who were previously excluded from it clamoring for the right to marry while so many others are determined to deny them that right? Well, because marriage is a good thing. Well, the Swedes apparently don't think so. And if you consider our rising divorce rates, apparently a lot of people who have experienced for themselves don't think so either. Well, it may not work for 
everyone, but what I mean, that the status of being married, legally married, married in the eyes of the state, brings with it all sorts of social benefits. Access to health insurance, hospital visitation rights, the right to file joint tax returns, and a lot of other stuff. Well, you're saying that the state showers those who marry with benefits that it doesn't extend to those who don't or it won't allow to marry. But look, why should the state be in the business of favoring the married over the non-married in the first place? Well, because marriage is a good thing. You already said that. Yeah, but I mean something slightly different this time around. It's good in the sense that marriage makes for stable families, and stable families make for well-brought-up children, stable communities. Stable communities make for a stable state. And it's just isn't just obvious that the state has an interest in promoting such stability? Well, maybe, maybe it is obvious, but think of marriage as just one form of, let's call it, intermittent to coin a phrase, among others. There's also cohabitation, deep, long-lasting, even non-sexual friendships, all kinds of partnerships. Look, if you, if you let your imagination run wild, I'm sure you can think of many possible forms of intimate entanglement among consenting adults. You're suggesting that it's not marriage as such, but intimate entanglements in your clever wording, possibly in a wide variety of forms that promotes the kind of stability the state really has some reason to face. Exactly. And if that's right, then why should the state single out marriage as like the most favored and privileged form of intimate entanglement? Why should it bother endowing this one particular form of entanglement among adults with a special legal status? So that's really what we're asking when we ask, should marriage be abolished? Right. So now that we're clear what the question is, why don't we bring in someone who can help us think through the answer? That would be Tamara Metz, author of Untying the Knot, Marriage, the State, and the Case for Their Divorce. She'll be with us in a minute. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Esch, talks to someone whose livelihood depends on state-sanctioned marriage. She files this report. For Oakland-based wedding planner Karen Hester, business has been a little slow lately. That's because she works with gay and lesbian couples. Welcome back. Prop 8 kills any hope for same-sex marriage, even though the California Supreme Court has ruled at law. There is passion on both sides of this debate. We have here in the studio... I think a lot of people are feeling like they're in limbo because of Prop 8 in California, which uh, has made it illegal for gays and lesbians to get married. For five months back in 2008, same-sex marriage was legal. But then voters passed Proposition 8, which made it illegal again. Later, a judge overturned Prop 8, and the case continues through the court system. Long story short, same-sex couples still cannot get married in California. Me and my baby on a February holiday. But in that five-month window, about 18,000 couples rushed to City Hall. And in fact, that's turned out to be smart because those are the marriages that are being upheld right now, those marriages that happened during the, those months. Of course, same-sex couples can still become domestic partners, which affords a lot of the same legal rights in California. And they can celebrate with commitment ceremonies. But for many, it's just not the same as marriage. I mean, I think marriage has always conferred a certain level of respect or, or and security, uh, social approval. I mean, all those things that are conscious and unconscious, perhaps. Which is why Matthew Chait and Will Scott married in 2008. I can remember it was the same day I came home from school and Will came home from work and we'd both been thinking the same thing, that we'd better go down to City Hall before 
the opportunity was gone. Chade is a lawyer. Scott is an Episcopal priest. They met at a party eight years ago. I knew pretty early that I wanted to be married to Will, actually. We're very different people, but he brings out very positive aspects of me that otherwise I don't think would see the light of day. A year later, Karen Hester helped plan Chait and Scott's wedding. We did a, a, an Indian dinner with lots of great food and samosas. And, you know, in that way, it was kind of felt like it was, this is really San Francisco. <laughs> you, come, you know, it's not like you're getting your typical chicken filet or something. I often make the joke that uh, enjoyment of Indian food is the only thing that Will and I have in common. Chait says his wedding day was the best day of his life. And he's obviously a strong supporter of marriage, especially when tax season rolls around a time that's never easy for the woman who does his taxes. It's a headache for her, and she's very heroic in trying to sort out what it means to be married in California, but to be just roommates as far as the federal government is concerned. Chade appreciates the benefits of marriage, but he does question whether the state should be involved and whether people should be rewarded at all for coupling up. I think there's a legitimate debate about, well, should the government be even giving out carrots, giving out any sort of reward for people because they happen to be in a certain kind of relationship. I think that's a legitimate question. But on the other hand, right now, those benefits are offered. And I think that because right now those benefits are being offered, they should be offered to everybody on an equal basis. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Ash. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music, Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.